27th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 159 of the 5049 Podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thank you for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. Today, that musician is guitarist, composer, improviser, scientist. You all right with me calling you a scientist, Che? I think you are. I'm going to call you one. Uh, composer and guitarist, Che Chen. You might know Che Chen from his band with Rick Brown called $75 Bill. That's who you hear back there. I love $75 Bill. They're a fucking awesome band. And uh, today Che and I are getting into it. We're getting into it today on the 5049 podcast with me and Che Chen. Before we get started, uh, a couple of things. Number one, um, thanks everyone. It was my birthday this past Friday, and uh, I got a lot of nice messages. So, so thank you. That was that was very thoughtful of you, and and uh, it made me feel appreciated. So, I want to remind you once again: we are now in the month of May, and at the end of this month, May twenty eighth, the very first live five zero four nine podcast. It's happening at the Arte venue, Brooklyn, New York, sixty seven West Street. The first, the first. Live podcast is going to be Toby Driver presenting some new music with uh, uh, string noise. Pauline Kim Harris and Conrad Harris. And then Toby and I are going to do a live talk. and We're going to tape it and then we'll put it up. And if you're around, come on out. It would be really great to see you. And uh, I, I, I think it's going to be a fun night. It's going to be a full night. Music, talk, uh, it'll be good. Go to the 5049 website for more information. Uh, it's 20 bucks at the door. And all the bread's going to the musicians. So not only will it be a fun night, but, you know, let's pack it out and uh, send everyone home with a few bucks. Today on the show, Che Chen. Um, I guess I met Che a couple thousand years ago, probably back at um, Paris, London, West Nile, or Glasslands. Uh, before Williamsburg was, was a Disneyland for sorority girls, it was a place where creative people lived. And on a particular stretch of Kent Avenue, which if I'm sitting in my living room and I look out the window, I can look right across the river and see it. Uh, there used to be a lot of venues there. Um, Paris, London, West Nile, Glasslands, uh, 285 Kent. I think it's like an urban outfitters now. Um, but Che was, was, was around a lot at that time. And, and he, he's just a special dude. Uh, this conversation that you're going to hear today was the first time we ever spoke um and i really enjoyed it a lot his band 75 dollar bill who you just heard a bit of at the top of the show and you'll hear again in a minute um they they scratch a niche that uh that that i find myself frequently having you know the music is it's improvisational uh it, it, it's I, I can hear some Neil Young, Dead Man uh, uh, vibes, also some sort of North African um, music, you know, where that thing where you, you don't really know when the piece started or where in the middle of the piece you are or when it's going to end, uh, and you can just sort of sit with it. I'm down. I dig it. I'm putting this episode up today specifically because this Wednesday night in Brooklyn at Roulette, Che is premiering a new piece. And I think it's going to be pretty mind-blowing. 
I think it's a big step for him. It's a piece written for three musicians. Che is playing on it, uh, along with Talis Lee on violin, and my very good friend, Patrick Holmes, on clarinet. I gotta have Patrick on this show. I've been bugging him for like over a year to do it. Uh, if you don't know Patrick, you need to know Patrick, because he's literally the best. A piece for three musicians that's based around uh, slow-moving structures, uh, modal improvisation. Um, I, I think I, I really am excited about this concert. Like I said, Wednesday, this Wednesday, May 9th, 2018, 8 p.m. at Roulette, the best venue in New York. Get there. Che Chen. And check out $75 Bill. Their stuff's up there. You can find it on, you know, your your bot your your Botifies and your sand camps and your and your iTunes. Uh it's it's good shit. And if you're enjoying this show, uh tell a friend. That helps. Review it in iTunes, rate it. Go to Patreon, throw in a few bucks. This is helpful stuff. Um, that's it. Hope you guys are all doing well. You good? Uh, thanks again for the birthday wishes. Here's my conversation with Che Chan. <laughs> <laughs> the hot water heater and the rice maker. <laughs> like whenever I have Asian friends come over for the first time, they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> some, <laughs> somewhat, I guess. Let me get some of this shit out of the way. Did you grow up in New York? or? No, I grew up in Maryland. Where, like Silver Spring? Uh, Silver Spring first till I was about 10 or 11. Yeah. And then um, we moved to Bethesda. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm closer to DC. But that's just good. No? Yeah. It's like a lot it of was weird. It's a good like, place to grow up. Isn't it like where all like the like senators and politicians live? Uh yeah, it's like um a lot of yeah, there's a lot of the, a lot of diplomats. Yeah. And um there's like a really good public school system in that right. pocket. So right, right. A lot of I guess a lot of politicians that wanna like appear like they're of the people and send their kids to a public school <laughs> yeah. like, move but they fund it with tax dollars to make sure that yeah. it's not quite the average public yeah. school yeah. do your parents yeah. still live there? no good no. so you don't have to go down there and... no I mean my brother does he lives in Gaithersburg now so I go down there to see Gaithersburg? Him. Gaithersburg okay <laughs> not Gaithersburg yeah. wait but then like I feel like the lizard people are really like comfortable now to just be themselves Oh, yeah. It's so grim. I don't know what DC is like now. I mean, fuck. Yeah. I've gone down there like in June to play a show, and uh -huh. I just, I hate to be one of those guys that's like, oh, man, I don't want to be outside New York anymore. Yeah. It's like, I kind of don't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, like, the vibe is just like kind of a bit hostile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dark. Dark days. You say both your parents are scientists? Mm, well, my dad is a scientist, and my mom is actually like a historian. Really? Yeah. And what kind of science? Uh, he's a cancer biologist. Th and that's what you yeah. somehow work with. Yeah. So I work for the family business, which is my dad's company. He's he's a he's a research scientist, so he's, he doesn't see patients, but um, he's been doing re research for about uh, almost like forty years now. Yeah. So. 
about 15 years ago, he started a company um, to sort of like try to develop some of the technology yeah. he's come up with. So it's basically like a cancer blood test. Um, so you like administer the, the tests or? No, I, I don't have a science background, so I mostly do administrative stuff. Yeah. Like grant stuff and sales or, stuff. And, and you're not working directly stuff. with cancer patients necessarily? No, no. All right. I, no. I thought, I thought, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that'd be kind of intense, wouldn't it? It'd be, yeah, that'd be intense. I yeah. mean, the closest I have come is, uh, you know, we have a lot of, um, he, he's at SUNY Stony Brook, mm-hmm. so, um, out on Long Island. So, uh, we, we collaborate with a lot of, um, of MDs that are at the SUNY hospital, mm-hmm. Stony Brook hospital. And, and they often arrange for us to like have blood or plasma samples or whatever. So the closest I have come is like going to a clinic and like picking, picking up, up a big bag of plasma <laughs> and driving it back to the office. But I haven't had to do that in a while. But <laughs> Yeah. 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 It's funny. My sister, I mean, she was a social worker for a lot of years uh-huh. working specifically with, uh, at risk teens. Uh huh. Um, and she eventually stopped because it was just like, she, she couldn't, like the odds were just like, so not in the favor yeah. of like having success with these kids. Yeah. And it was just bumming her out after like mm-hmm. 15 years. So now she's a nurse mm-hmm. and I think she has like, she's realizing, oh, there's an equal amount to be <laughs> bummed about here. <laughs> Cause again, yeah. you know, you're like hands on with patients, many of yeah. whom just, right. you know. Yeah. They're not going to make it. Yeah. 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 It's not a lot yeah. of lines of work where like. Yeah, that's kind of part of it. That's the gig, you know. That's the gig. Like, yeah. Ah, fuck that, man. Did you? Um, <laughs> does your old man look at the music you do with with like a question mark? Uh, not so much anymore. Yeah. You know, um, I, it was, it was like a struggle to sort of win him over a little bit, but really? eventually. <laughs> I think, you know, with $75 bill, my parents, that's like the first project I feel like my parents have like gotten and that they actually like. Are they, are, do they like blues music? Is there like, they're able to not like, really, with it? but, um, you know, they're not necessarily big music people. Right. Um, I don't come from really a very musical family. I, I wouldn't say. Right. My grandmother was the only one that really played music. What did she play? She played, uh, well, she used to play this like old. Uh, pump organ, you know, uh-huh. like one of those old, like, like pedal, with your foot, organs. yeah, 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 yeah. So she had one of those in her apartment in Taiwan. So That's kind of when I was a kid. I would, you know, hear her playing, and um, it's an eerie instrument. Yeah, and she would she would sort of sing also, mostly sort of Taiwanese folk songs and stuff yeah. like that. Um, uh, but yeah, she was she was the only one in my family that I really remember being musical. Yeah. yeah. My mom was sort of artistic and and went to um she studied like fashion design in school uh-huh. and stuff so and she danced and stuff so she okay. was she was kind of um she kind of had my back more when I was sort of like you know wanted to go in this direction and my, I, I my feel, dad was the yeah. harder sell but I feel like science people when it yeah. comes to like I feel like a lot of science people don't really bother with with music uh-huh. but when they do it's either like something like Xenakis that has just like such pure uh, logic yeah. yet such jarring results yeah, yeah. or like something like so whack like Paul Simon that is just <laughs> like <laughs> I don't even want to like yeah. have to think about what this yeah. is well it's funny recently I, I took my parents to this concert at Stony Brook that was you know their uh, their chamber ensemble okay 
And the program was like Feldman and Zanakis. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, I want to go to this. And I don't know, maybe I'll just drag them along and see what happens. Uh-huh. And, and uh, I think my dad hated most of it, but he really liked the Zanakis piece at the end. Really? What the, piece was it? Do you remember? I forget the name of it. Um, it it's like six percussionists arranged like in a circle oh. around the audience. And, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's all this just insane like phasing stuff happening from different <laughs> directions and stuff. And it's like being on a roller coaster or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he, he really liked that. My mom had... An appreciation for some of the other things. Sure, there, there was a, a Feldman. Uh, it was like two, three flutes, uh-huh. and that was incredible. And 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 I think that was my favorite. And my mom was into that too. Yeah, yeah. My wife's an architect, and uh-huh. Zanakis was. You know, she's not. She's she's not. You know, thrilled about a lot of the music that I enjoy listening <laughs> uh-huh, to yeah. or yeah. or making. Um, mostly just because she doesn't see where the entry point is. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But certainly with Zanakis, you know, we went to because like, it was like me. Sometime in the last 10 years, there was that mm-hmm. exhibit at the drawing center. Oh, yeah. And you could really see, you yeah. know, how it all right. came together with yeah. architecture, yeah. with with sound. Mm-hmm. With, um, but it's so crazy because I, I, most of the time when I listen to Zanakis, I just enjoy it from the perspective of catharsis. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, when you read his backstory, I mean, it's so crazy. You know, he was like the a war. Greek resistance fighter yeah. and like lost an eye and just... Yeah, I don't know anybody who like makes the kind of music that we do that has that kind of background now. Very, you know, you mean like people like kind of in our age group? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as as, as a, a, how old are you? I am gonna be forty. Okay, next month. Yeah, so we're about the same yeah. age. I'm gonna be thirty eight next month. Uh-huh. Like in our age group, I mean, we, yeah, you know, there's a lot of personal struggles that may yeah. or may not have happened, but yeah having to you know be tested as a people by going to war or yeah Yeah. we haven't been confronted with that right now we have whatever version of it is just watching maybe it's coming democracy die yeah yeah right exactly (laughs) wait what's your birthday uh may 27th okay cool uh was the guitar your first instrument um first instrument was piano i had a piano lessons for a couple of years um i really i think that made me really realize that i like loved music but yeah. i wasn't i wasn't in love with playing piano or taking lessons or you know right. the music i was learning but um so a couple of years after that i was maybe 12 or 13 i like saved up my lawn mowing money and, and bought an electric bass and that was sort of that the, was first the first instrument that i really felt like i connected with that was my first instrument too yeah yeah what what do you remember what bass it was uh yeah it was a hondo <laughs> that <laughs> You know, like P bass coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I bought out of the um, the classified ads. Oh, really? Yeah. Like in the back like of the like paper, the yeah. Maryland, whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, and so me and my friend, who was also like a budding musician, went to this guy's house, and and I guess he had some microphones that cheap microphones that my friend wanted to buy. Wow. So, <laughs> so his mom took us to this guy's house, and my friend bought these microphones, and and this guy had this this hondo bass that was left-handed and i'm right-handed uh, <laughs> but it was so cheap how much was it and i didn't know it was like 25 dollars yeah, okay. or 50 dollars yeah, yeah, yeah. or something you know and uh it was so cheap and i didn't really 
I don't. I didn't really know what that meant anyway. Right. So I was like, okay. So you bought a left-handed base. So I bought a left-handed base, and did you play lefty? No, I f- I flipped it over. Okay, and I changed the string, so it was righty, but just looked, <laughs> yeah, it was weird looking. Um, so that is sort of what I learned on. Was the action about a mile high on it, or uh, it wasn't too bad, yeah. actually. But I think having to. You know, having to like do some work on it right away kind of set me up for this mentality of just kind of like taking things apart and, and uh-huh. tinkering with instruments a lot. So, yeah, that instrument eventually got a lot of um, sort of weird modifications. Is it still around? It's not. I gave it to a, a high school friend at a certain point. After you had done all this yeah. shit to it. Like it had no frets on it uh-huh. anymore. And I had like sawed off parts of it and stuff. But yeah. 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 I would give anything to be able to get my first bass back. It was this, uh, my mom knew I wanted to play bass, so for my yeah. birthday, she didn't have much money, she went to a pawn shop, Yeah, found the cheapest bass in the room. Mm-hmm. It was this Hagstrom bass from the 1940s, oh, like from like God. a Navy band. Oh, man. And I was like, thank you for the bass. I This is like not what I wanted. This is yeah. a piece of garbage, you know? Uh, yeah. And I played it for like a year and a half. Yeah. I was completely unaware of the history. I, all I yeah. knew was like, this thing looks like shit. I want to get like a real bass. So I yeah. went to a guitar store. Yeah. And I was like, hey, how much will you give me for trade in on this? I want to buy that PV, uh, <laughs> P bass ripoff, yeah. Yeah. which was like 250 He's like, I'll yeah. tell you what. Give me the, the bass that you have and 100 bucks, and the, the PV's yours. So I do it. <sighs> and then like, probably five six weeks later i see the hagstrom at the store like kind of fixed up a little bit and for sale for like 1800 bucks so dirty (laughs) so dirty and how old are you like 12 or 13 this guy looked right at me with like a like 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 licking his chops to do that to a kid i mean that's it's pretty brutal that's dark yeah (laughs) (laughs) music stores are pretty dark places like uh you know guitar stores Mm -hmm. yeah i don't I try not to spend too much time in them. Yeah. <laughs> really. I mean, I play guitar, but I I, <laughs> I I'm often like I find myself saying to things to Rick like As this isn't guitar music <laughs> and he's just like, What? <laughs> like the stuff that you guys do at seventy five dollar yeah, bill? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh I guess I feel um I guess I just feel like I'm I'm kind of coming at it from sort of not from listening to guitar music yeah you know uh you know and i can't i really you know i pretty much self-taught musician Uh other than those few you know those those early piano lessons but uh so i i feel just like there's a lot of guitar player things that I don't know how to do at all you know do you want to do those things not really you know (laughs) i mean i know how to I know how to play like my music, but I don't really have the skill sets to like play to be a sideman and any, a company. yeah yeah yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and was there has that ever been something that's eaten at you? Not really. I mean, yeah. I think I'm I'm very like driven by the things that interest me, and I'm too busy kind of like trying to catch up to those things. Sure. Then to like worry about trying to be a well-rounded musician yeah because it's i mean it's too late for that for me i mean really honestly <laughs> but do you ever listen to like recordings of like great guitar but like, you know west montgomery or someone and think like oh i should 
try and figure out or not really <laughs> no yeah i don't know like guitar music you know i guess um i guess the closest thing maybe is like i really like listened to a lot of john fahey for a little while yeah i can and, hear that and and uh but even that i didn't feel like i should learn how to do that you know but it just um you know i i, I guess much well, I guess maybe for a little while I, I was kind of playing like that, like sort of finger picking, played acoustic mostly. Mm. And then at a certain point I sort of stopped playing guitar because I just didn't really know what to do with it mm. mm-hmm. anymore. And I was sort of playing a lot of other instruments and just um, trying to trying to just like learn about sound really. Yeah. Kind of like the physics of it by playing lots of different instruments and sort of figuring out like the different uh, sort of designs of them i mean how stuff, so. early or at all did you incorporate or start incorporating like four tracks and recording devices to uh-huh. figure i mean was that ever part of it um you mean to making music or yeah to, yeah i mean like i yeah i mean um yeah that's another thing i guess my record <laughs> my approach <laughs> to recording is like is is like pretty dumb also <laughs> like i <laughs> Like I have, uh, I have Logic on my computer. Okay, and I'm pretty good at like, um, I think I'm, I'm okay at like mixing and, and sure. I'm pretty good at editing. Mm-hmm. That's something I feel like pretty comfortable with. But uh, I have never like multi-track recorded into a computer before or an analog device. I I have used a four-track before, yeah. but not not really to any great effect. Not um, with much excitement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, yeah, so, I don't know. I, I think I, my tendency is to sort of, like, take live recordings and then sort of collage them together sure. in the computer more than sort of building things up. That's a better approach. Um, I mean, you know, with with $75 bill with Rick, like, we've been doing some things, or a lot of things where there's a lot of layers and there's mm-hmm. overdubs and stuff like that. And um, he's been doing most of the driving in terms of like recording. Yeah. Um, in terms of that, because I just, I don't really know how to do it. I don't know anything about like mics and that kind right. of stuff either. So, so I don't know. I think there's times when I, I, I really appreciate that and I want to do that mm-hmm. with other people. But when I'm left to my own devices, it's pretty much like I'm just going to record into this, you know, mono tape machine or a walkman <laughs> and then put it into the computer and yeah. chop it up you know that that's kind of what i end up doing that's fucking great yeah. i mean the thing you know you, you mentioned fahey and yeah. i listen to fahey uh-huh. all the time you know mm-hmm. some fates i go through periods where i listen to him all the time yeah some less but mm. like i'm usually i put it on and then i forget that i'm listening to uh-huh. it yeah. and then i keep kind of dipping back in and sort of that trance-like nature that mm-hmm. he creates is yeah. what i'm constantly stealing from that yeah. music uh-huh. or trying to yeah um yeah yeah i mean he's great and he he he's such a sort of i don't know i i feel like in some ways a lot of like he's influenced <laughs> so many people and i think a lot of people tend to take it in a direction of, of sort of like um they're you know they're sort of improvising on these like blues forms mm-hmm. or folk forms or whatever but to me he's such a like composer you know mm-hmm. like those pieces are so i mean the, the sort of earlier things like are so kind of like um they're so clear in how they move through yeah. through what they're doing and stuff and and 
I think that's the part to me that's like really, you know, it's sort of like blues music in disguise or something. Sure. Like it's like composition, like disguised as blues music or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you ever see him yeah. play? No, no. Yeah, me neither. Never got to. It's funny. I saw Evan yeah. Parker play last night. Uh-huh. Um, and I've seen him play, you know, a trillion times. Yeah. With Ned Rothenberg? Was, yeah, with Ned last yeah. night. But, you know, they both did some solo pieces. Mm-hmm. And particularly during Evan's solo piece, it kind of, I've always felt like people that do so, a lot of solo playing, uh-huh. it's yeah. like they're kind of working on one song their entire yeah. life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that's, I mean, I, I so I'd listen to Fahey the same way I listen to Evan or uh-huh. like, you know, yeah. other people that are really right. focused on that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, but wait, I saw, so I was watching a video of $75 or. Mm-hmm. And the guitar you were playing yeah. looked like some kind of microtonal fretting. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, I guess the angle that I come at the guitar from is it has a lot to do with listening to music from other parts of the world, mm-hmm. you know, and string instrument music. And um, so, you know, listening to like Persian music or or like Indian music or, you know, Middle Eastern music, like oud players or whatever that I think my concept of like approaching string instruments is kind of a lot more informed by that. And, and in a way it was, you know, when I discovered that music, I, I think it just really resonated with me because it was, I was sort of already doing that in a very primitive way. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when I started playing bass, I didn't have a teacher or anything. And I would play along with records sometimes, but really what I really kind of locked into was, was just improvising against like a pedal point or something, you know, just Mm -hmm. like playing one string open as a drone and then playing against it, like melody against it on the Mm -hmm. other strings, you know? And that's basically what I have been doing ever since, you know? And and then when I started hearing like modal music from like Indian music or, you know, whatever, I realized, oh, this is like, there's a whole universe of music Mm -hmm. where this is what they're doing, you know? And it didn't really... I, I think it I, it was a while before I figured out that oh that's really what what's happening here and that's what I'm really drawn to about that kind of music but um, you know eventually I sort of got more deliberate in in thinking about it that way. in what the structures were or uh, yeah and just like okay well if you're not going to change chords then like what can you do. It, it just it just opens up a different set of possibilities. It closes off one set of possibilities. Right, but quite a o- few. Opens up, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah the other eleven. <laughs> uh, but it also opens up this idea of well, okay, if you're if you're really listening in relation to this like fundamental yeah pitch all the time instead of moving that pitch around, like then you're you start thinking, well, why does it have to be these twelve notes that are all the same? space from one another sure it's like that's actually not you know and i think in listening to music that's sort of outside of the western traditions like i started just realizing like oh you know this music sounds really natural to me and just the way people sing or the way people you know play these melodies and you know it's it's a different there's a different feeling and there's a different um there's actually a different set of ideas about tuning behind absolutely all this you know i mean so. you know more, some of the first music i heard growing up was like hindustani classical music tabla mm-hmm. music mm-hmm. sitar music those are the first concerts i went to yeah and um 
it's like when I listen to that stuff casually, I, I enjoy the fact that I don't know where it started. I don't know where uh-huh. or when it's yeah. going to end. And mm-hmm. I just sort of sit in it. But then you get talking to like the real masters mm-hmm. and like those guys have such like a strict and yeah. and prescribed method to teaching and, and learning this music that is like just as intense, if not more than any Western classical oh, yeah. tradition. Tons of rules. I yeah. Mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like f- coming from here, the word we have for it is improvisation, but it means something totally different there. I mean, it's it's so idiomatic and yeah. clearly defined, you know, it's like, uh, you know, raga isn't just like a set of pitches, it's a set of rules about how to approach them. It's like all these different melodic cells that everyone who plays that raga learns, uh-huh. you know, so that, you know, so they really are... I guess they're more like unfixed compositions, you know, in a way. Yeah. And then saying, because, you know, when you say improv- improvisation here, it sounds like, oh, you're just going to, you can do whatever you want, you know? Right. And you absolutely cannot do whatever you <laughs> right, want. Right, right, right. I mean, certainly with jazz music, <laughs> yeah. that's there's a similarity, uh-huh. which is yeah, if you're following right. like traditional yeah. modes of expression, you, yeah. when you're playing over this yeah. chord, you play, you know? Yeah. So as you began taking in this music, were you concurrently taking in you know, like American, uh, sure, like yeah. Lamont Young and uh-huh. Tony and, uh, yeah, I think I, I got to that stuff later. Um, after you began listening to the stuff from yeah. what, North Africa or, uh, I guess Indian music was probably the first yeah. stuff I got into. You know, I, I remember in, when I was growing up, uh, in Bethesda, there was a, there's this independent book and record store called Olson's Books and Music and, and, uh, um, still there. I don't think so. Yeah, but it was a, it was great. Uh, <laughs> but they had this like budget bin, right? So I didn't have much money, so I'd, I was just I would just go and pick something out of the budget bin. Uh-huh. So I was like, well, I've been hearing about this jazz stuff. Maybe I'll check that out. So I go, I pick out a Miles Davis record. Do you remember which one? Kind of blue, of course. Right. Don't know anything about it. Put it on. Decide. Oh, this jazz stuff is pretty good. <laughs> you know? And I was like, maybe I'll get another Miles Davis record. Go back to the store. Go back to the budget bin. Flipping through, the other Miles Davis record in there don't, don't have, it. on the corner. Right. And I took it home, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is the same guy. Yeah. But it totally like cracked my head open. You know, I was like, wow, this is the same guy. You know, whatever. 18 years later, I don't have any years yeah, later, yeah. but I don't even think that many. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting, you know? And then, um, you know, that, I don't know if, I don't know, actually, now I can't remember the order, but, but shortly after that, I got like another, an Indian music record out uh-huh. of the bin also. And it was actually, um, it was like a Zahir, Zakir, Zakir Hussein, Hussein um, like uh curated record where it's like four different indian drummers yeah and uh so there was tabla and um you know pakovaj or radangam uh-huh. the, the barrel drum on it too and and hearing that really just like just flipped me out i was like sure. what is going on here <laughs> yeah 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 zakir yeah. um, is so deep and so amazing yeah. a lot of his mm-hmm. stuff though i learned you got to be pretty selective because yeah. he goes into some pretty sure. yeah. questionable yeah. aesthetic territory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of I, I prefer it a little dirtier, you know. Yeah. yeah. I just got this record of um, 
Ravi Shankar uh-huh. live in Hollywood. These uh-huh. recordings of no, it's amazing yeah. that he was like doing these like private concerts in his house in oh, L.A. Wow. and recorded yeah. them. And uh-huh. it's like, it's all. Did you ever hear that Derek Bailey playing for friends on East Fifth Street? Uh uh-uh. uh, I don't know. He did this record. He when Downtown Music Gallery was still on Fifth Street. Mm-hmm. He did a oh, concert wow. there. Yeah. for like you know 20 people uh-huh. and recorded it and it's all friends so he's yeah. talking over the pieces oh, and wow. it kind of, this this Ravi Shankar yeah. record kind of has that vibe yeah yeah i mean that's another thing is like um you know well i'll backtrack a little bit yeah. i answer your question about the guitar because it ties into this but so the guitar that you're referring to earlier is it has a quarter tone fretboard so it just all the notes are divided in half so there's yeah. 24 tones the octave uh, instead of 12 and i had it refretted that way because i i had gone to mauritania in west africa in 2013 um just for a couple of weeks and, okay um i had you know after i had sort of like taken a little break from playing guitar for a while and then i started and i was playing acoustic before mostly and and I decided, oh, maybe I'll get an electric guitar and I'll sort of like try that and see what happens. And so I, w- I was doing that and sort of playing these modal things and, and listening to a lot of guitar music from West Africa. And uh, and do you remember that label, label Locust? Whose label was it? It was Dawson Pratter's label. It was like Locust and Table of the Elements oh, were yeah. sort of at the same time. Okay. Um, all the Henry Flint records were right. on, on Locust. And, yes, I've got some yeah, of those. Yeah. So, yeah. so he 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 had this other this sub label that was part of Locust called Latitudes, and the, the last release that he put out before kind of folding up shop was this double disc compilation of guitar music from Mauritania. Uh-huh. And, uh And and it just really I don't know I just really. Uh, just fell in love with that music and and I'm was totally blown away by it. Completely but, unfamiliar with what that yeah, is. Yeah, so it's um, so Mauritania is like uh, South Morocco, between Morocco and Senegal. Uh-huh. So it, it's basically like the furthest west you can be in in Africa, and and um, so it, it it also borders Mali. Um, Mali is to the to the east, and. Um, so it has a lot of, uh, uh, you know, sort of similarities with with West African music from Mali and Senegal and and Morocco also. But it's also just a weird pocket because it it's sort of so basically like the Arab invaders, you know, like five hundred years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. like swept across North Africa basically, and then like conquered the whole of North Africa and then kind of contracted in a way back to like egypt and, and mm. that that area so mauritania was really this like way out kind of outpost you know and um and so you know the sort of like arab music that came through there ended up sort of in an isolation like mixing with all these other kinds of music like berber music and and uh, sub-saharan music also mm-hmm. so they have a modal system <clears throat> that is like sort of related to Arabic maqam but uh is also totally its own thing mm. now um like you know the singing it's easy to hear the sort of like 
is sort of like very melismatic singing that it's very easy to hear similarities with like Arabic music. Yeah. But um, the rhythmic sensibility is like totally different and the rhythmic instruments are totally different too. Uh, so anyway, I heard this music and I was just like floored by it because they, they, the electric guitar is sort of like a fairly recent instrument that mm-hmm. they've adopted there. And um, in order to play their, their, uh, their modes on guitars they started refretting them <laughs> and and so they they basically you know it's it's west africa so you can't just like order fret wire from right. stumac or whatever it's like you it's so they like take the frets out of the upper part of the neck because nobody plays up there <laughs> and in west africa it's just like why would i go up there yeah, yeah, yeah. you know uh so they take those frets out and then they reinsert they them <laughs> between the first like seven frets so you have these it's very resourceful yeah 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 i mean incredibly resourceful i mean i saw people there my my teacher when i was there i saw him one day teaching his nephew who was one of his students how to tie a string back together when it had broken are you kidding to put me? it back on the guitar so doesn't that make you feel like an asshole? Not yeah. you, but one. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible how resourceful people are there. I mean, people like um, they were having a rehearsal at their house once, and they they hired a sound guy and a PA, which is like big deal. Yeah, for them. So this guy comes over, and he has the the PA head, and he has these two speakers, and then he has just this giant pile of coil of cable, and the cables the different lengths of cable you know and none of the cables have ends on them they're just bare wires and this is so that they can use them for different things they could use it as an instrument cable or a power cable or all these different things so i watched this guy basically like he had one cable that he, he like jerry-rigged one end of it so he could plug it into the PA and the other end was just two wires and he just took it and he he like used another the plug from something else to just jam this <laughs> cable into the wall and I mean it was terrifying but in a way it wasn't because I could tell he had done it right. a million times and right. he just knew how to do it you know um so yeah, I was there for two weeks and I just got like a crash course, basically like I had lessons with Jay Shalday and then at night we would go to his gigs or his wife's gigs. And uh, and what were those gigs like? Was there like a <clears throat> community aspect to it? Like- uh, absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's no like, um, there's no music industry really in Mauritania the way there is here. Like, and that's that's probably starting to change slowly there and other places in Africa, but in West Africa. But um, yeah, there's no there's no clubs or concert halls. There's mm-hmm. no bars to go to that have live music. All the music takes place at weddings, pretty much, like weddings and at people's homes, just like private yeah. <clears throat> kind of concerts. Yeah, yeah. So weddings are kind of the big social thing that people do like every weekend there's weddings every night like like <laughs> thursday through sunday there's like weddings every single and night everyone just goes even like, and everyone just goes like you just kind of invite everyone pretty much you know i mean in nuakcha which is the capital oh. it's like more populated so i think maybe it's a little bit more 
um, a little bit more selective, but, but, you know, it's coming from this kind of village mentality sure. where it's like you have a wedding and everyone comes, you know? Yeah. And they're, o- they're always like sort of on the edge of town, like in a tent and there's a generator and, uh, they last for hours, you know, you like uh-huh. musicians usually roll in around 10. It's already been going on for a couple, few hours. And then, um, their modal system is like built around this, this marriage tradition, uh, in a lot of ways. So like there's, f- there's five different modes uh-huh. and each one corresponds to like a different stage of life and they play them in order, huh. uh, during the ceremony and the the bride and the groom are married, I believe, during the mode that represents like adulthood. And um, and there's like little exceptions and stuff to the structure, but the sure. basic structure is you know there's these five modes and you play through them, uh, you know, to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know it goes till two or three in the morning. And this was 2013. Yeah. So when you came back to New York, yeah. I mean, you'd already been playing. I remember um, you used to have that band True Primes. Yeah. Which was yeah. kind of like around like Glasslands mm-hmm. yeah. and 285 yeah, yeah, Kent exactly. and yeah. Paris, London, West Nile, yeah. like that. Yeah. Now, if you, if I look out my window, I uh-huh. can see that, but uh-huh. it's very different now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is there now? There's we'll like we'll look at We'll go out the window in a minute. There's this gigantic... <laughs> luxury building yeah. that says now leasing and it's literally like 235 kent so it's right there yeah um and it is you know the opposite of what yeah. was once there <laughs> yeah yeah i had yeah. so many good times in that little like that one block yeah i mean there were so many there was glasslands and west nile and glass house before glasslands yeah. there's death by audio death by- <laughs> the funny thing kent. about yeah i mean I, i've you know i've talked about this before with people but Paris, London, West Nile was honestly one of the strangest and like best venues I ever encountered. Uh-huh, yeah. And a lot of it was like you'd go there mm-hmm. and then people lived there. Mm-hmm. And Tony Conrad had his yeah. like rehearsal space there. Yeah. He was just like like Phantom of the Opera or something, you know? <laughs> you'd be like setting up for a gig. Yeah. Like, oh, Tony Conrad just like yeah. walked across the room. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember a great gig there where it was uh, Brian Chippendale from, uh, from Lightning Bolt playing mm-hmm. solo. And, uh, And I remember, you know, he, so loud. I mean, I thought he would be less loud than Lightning Bolt because sure. it was just him alone. But it was, it was at least as loud as Lightning Bolt with him just by himself. But I just remember Tony, you know, wearing his like uh, green T-shirt, his <laughs> yeah, his like aqua hospital scrubs, <laughs> and just kind of like pogoing. You know, everyone else was kind of just like standing around looking yeah. cool, and Tony was just like darting around, just like. <laughs> headbanging and i was like that guy's amazing yeah <laughs> did you interact with him much uh a little bit i got to play in some like ensemble pieces of his music yeah yeah um with him um around he he said he had some concerts around this um exhibit he had at nyu of kind of like video work like uh-huh. social sort of social video work um and there were two concerts one was uh a recreation of an old like tape piece where there were there must have been nine or ten different musicians mostly huh. string players playing into this tape loop whoa um that he was controlling uh so that was one and the the other one was it two or three 
I don't remember. The other one was like a, a really big um, piece at Dia. That Dia was, Beacon or uh, Dia Chelsea? No, it was actually like a benefit. In, okay. In, so it was in Chelsea, but it was not in the Dia Chelsea space. It was like in one of their warehouses. Sure. And I mean, it was crazy because it was like a you know, Tony got to put together this big band. It was like 10 people like uh-huh. all playing like E on violins and viola and bass, you know. Do you remember who was in the group? Uh, yeah, it was uh, me and Karen Waltuck, uh-huh. um, Andrew Lafkus, uh, Laura Ortman. Um, forgetting. Was Carbon there? Carbon, Carbon must of have course, been there. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And um, maybe one of, I can't remember, maybe Mirandi, I don't remember her last name, uh-huh. String Orchestra Brooklyn um, but person. it was an experience. But yeah, it was a lot of strings. Yeah. And um, I think Judah Kether was also playing synth that night wow. and Tony playing violin. And it was behind a scrim, you know, with the lights. Uh-huh. And um, that was really interesting to be on the other side of because I, he really took a lot of time placing us uh, in relation to the light to like change the size of our shadows. So mm-hmm. he was sort of like composing us, mm-hmm. uh, our shadows on the other I side. I mean, that's a full compositional yeah, concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the scrim was also really amazing too, because it wasn't like a rectangular piece of material. It was like shorter at one side than the other. So, huh. so it kind of accentuate and, and it was like, I mean, it must've been like 50 feet long or something. Jeez. But so it really like accentuated this sense of perspective, like because it it sort of shrank. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sort of artificially created this this like fence fake sense of perspective on top of like the real sense of perspective. So, um, but yeah, and it was it was amazing to like hear that music from the inside. You know, it's amplified strings mm-hmm. and stuff, and um, you know, Tony was just really ecstatic. You know, and because. I mean, it's such a shame he never really got to do that very often, you know, like with a group like that. Yeah. And and the sad part of it was it was for this benefit. So, like, on the other side of the scrim, there are all these, like, people that I don't think were really paying attention, you know. They were yeah. just, like, at this, like... Event. Dia event that they paid a bunch <laughs> of money to get into and... So, yeah, not to be a bummer, but... No, but I mean, what did... <laughs> I mean, I know you can't speak on behalf of, of someone who's no longer mm-hmm. with us, um, but why why wasn't he doing that stuff more often? Was just the opportunities not there? Or was he... Yeah, and I think maybe the resources and stuff, yeah. you know? It's like... Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I mean, I'm sure people would have done it for not much money or for no money. Sure, you I mean, know? people wanted to be around. Yeah, yeah. but... Yeah, I don't know if he necessarily would have felt comfortable doing that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't really say, but... And then when yeah. did you start playing with Rick Brown, a $75 bill? Uh, 2012. So around the time, just before yeah. you went to... Yeah, I think we had been playing for about a year before I went to Mauritania. As a duo? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. trying to find what the musical identity yeah. was? or. Uh, yeah, I think... Um, you know, I, I had met Rick much earlier you know like like he he was actually one of the few like true primes fans <laughs> yeah. in new york and um you know roland and i you know this is like in the myspace era uh-huh and he like found us on myspace a lot of good things came from myspace yeah people, it was great you know people love to belittle yeah. it but like yeah. i yeah 
a lot of great MySpace experiences. Yeah, and like something like Bandcamp now is just like kind of a better version of that model of like what MySpace was, right? But do people communicate through Bandcamp? No, but it was like, but it's like a place where you like, you can just upload music and you have like, you know, the music online just instantly kind of. Yeah. And, and I mean, people can, you can communicate a little bit, but they're not trying to be like a social media thing. Right. I mean, one of the things, I mean, just to go off topic for a second, one of the things I remember about MySpace being useful is if you were doing things, you know, in a DIY fashion, yeah. if you were booking a tour, right. it was yeah. really easy to interact yeah. with people in other cities and That's true. Yeah. set stuff up that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you met Rick on MySpace. <laughs> yeah, so Rick found us on MySpace, and then he just started like turning up at all our gigs. Yeah, and you know there weren't really a lot of people at our gigs, so if you came to more than one, you, you, you stuck out. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, and then we became friendly with him and. You know, that was probably in 2005 or something wow. like that. Um, and yeah, and, and and we would just see each other at shows and we hung out a little bit socially and stuff. And then he was, um, he and his wife Sue were were having this um, kind of like jam session at their, their practice space, um, just kind of periodically. And uh, it was mostly like percussion and like horns kind of and like pretty much all unamplified mm. stuff and, and i think one of the rules was like if you were going to use an amp it had to fit in a in a paper lunch bag <laughs> <laughs> like couldn't be any bigger than that <laughs> that was just for practical purposes or uh no it was kind of like to keep the sort of like the feeling of the music like yeah. acoustic basically yeah I think, you know it's yeah. like um i yeah i think it was a it was that was like an important sort of a determining sure. rule for for what happened, you know, at those jams. But anyway, eventually I went to one, um, uh, and Rick had this like wooden crate, like packing crate, uh-huh. uh, and and I had play, been playing like these guitar things at home, and and imagining like percussion going with it, but just not really feeling like a drum set would have been the right thing. And so he, he like took this thing off the shelf and, and he just like sat down on it and just like took this big soft mallet, you know, and just like hit the side of it and just made this like deep, like low Uh D, you know, it was just like, it was almost like contrabass or something. Sure. And, and instantly I was like, Whoa, that's like, that's the thing, you know, that's the sound. Uh Um, and so then, uh, so then, you know, after a couple of those love layers, the the group was called Love Layers, and and um, so so after going to a couple of these things, I asked him like, hey, do you want to just get together the two of us? And I have these guitar ideas, and I think this might be a good good match. And then um, yeah, from there it really just very quickly kind of gelled into a mm-hmm. thing, and we started practicing a lot. You know, like three times a week for like all day long <laughs> yeah kind of thing and bringing and, in written material and ideas uh yeah i mean i mostly like i would bring in riffs or mm-hmm. rick would bring in patterns and and we would just work them out you know mm-hmm. um and that was really and continues to be like really like educational for me you mm-hmm. know because I, I think I, I i sort of came at it from 
more of like a free improvising kind of situation. Um, and I, I kind of really wanted to deal with rhythm and like, um, you know, like intervals and stuff, mm -hmm. you know, just like very basic things. And, and, and I guess part of my idea going in was, was again, going back to like listening to a lot of like moto music from other places and just being like, you know, so much of that music is, is, is just about rhythm and melody. You know? Yeah. It's not, um, there's no harmonic changes or anything. It's just like, like what can you do with just like, like a rhythmic pattern and, yeah. and like, melodic lines and it's not about know? soloists necessarily yeah, like really yeah right yeah, against the rhythm section yeah right um so yeah that 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 really i mean that continues to be kind of like the concept well, and one of the things i like about yeah. the sound uh -huh. of the band is <sighs> i enjoy that Sometimes if you listen to like I listen to like old recordings like uh -huh. Alan Lomax kind of stuff uh -huh. and yeah. you know or you know more more specifically like old blues recordings uh -huh. and there is like a, a rhythmic element and sometimes even if there is a drum mm -hmm. but it doesn't have like the the snappiness uh -huh. and like the brightness of a yeah. drum kit that's right like, you know, yeah and the way that Rick has his percussion set up yeah. it naturally has this almost like dead sound like in terms uh -huh. of uh you know there isn't all this like high sibilance right, happening right yeah and so it has that quality of those older recordings uh -huh. but it it doesn't feel in any way like it's trying to be that or yeah it it kind of makes the music like a little for me it it's much more inviting i'll say that uh-huh yeah yeah i mean i think the box takes up it just sits in a different like frequency range yeah you know part of it it's it's like um and uh i mean another part of it was that i just didn't i didn't want to have to play that loud you know yeah. honestly that was another part of it just <laughs> like um you know <laughs> i don't know i i guess i you know we find ourselves playing in a lot of sort of like rock kind of contexts uh -huh. and and um it's sort of an interesting struggle you know sometimes because it's just you know we show up with these like this wooden box <laughs> and my amplifier is like this big uh -huh. you know and sound guys are just like what what do you want me to do with this it's just like oh i'm gonna make this sound huge you know right and we're just like not exactly <laughs> so you, you know? like if you play in like a rock club you don't even mm -hmm. go through the pa no we go through the pa yeah but um it's just you know, it's just different. It's just like it's trying to, yeah. And, and I guess for me, the ideal situation is like where the stage volume is like, it's kind of natural, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause it's just like the more layers of application you start putting on things, the sort of more confusing things but did you, get, you know? <laughs> there's, um, like, there's really interesting stuff that happens when there are considerations like, not playing too loud for whatever mm -hmm. reason, whether you don't you don't want to disturb your neighbors. Yeah. So it kind of builds this way of approaching mm -hmm. things. And I played this piece of music years ago with uh, Otomo Yoshihide. Uh -huh, yeah, he'd written this piece. Uh, God, what's it called? Portable Orchestra. Uh huh. So it's like an hour long piece. Yeah, that was written to be performed at this like small club in Japan where the walls uh -huh. were paper thin. Uh, yeah, and the music had to be as quiet as possible. Yeah. Uh, what was that place called? You know, you know the place I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah. Um, Have you played there? I have not. I mean, I don't think it has existed in a long time. Right. But 
but it i think it like has yeah. a semi-legendary status yeah yeah absolutely. for well yeah like because him and and tatuzi akiyama and toshimaru nakamura yeah like um had to yeah, figure out guys. how to play there. Yeah, yeah. And those guys are all incredible because they they all know how to play really loud and really quietly, you know. Nakamura in, yeah. in particular with no input yeah. mixer. Man, I saw him do a set at the Stone one night that again was another one of those things. It was like yeah. one of the best things I ever saw there. Uh-huh. And it was every sound and every detail of every sound was so meticulous uh-huh. yet cathartic. Yeah. And then when you hang out with that dude afterwards, He's such a hilarious, mellow dude. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you hung with him? I don't really know him. I know Tatuzi yeah. better. Yeah. I mean, he's like a, a goofball, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, so, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm dealing. Anyway, I, I like when that happens, when mm-hmm. some sort of like yeah, outside circumstance sort of changes the way yeah. you play. Yeah. Well, yeah. And also, so, you know, the, the box just doesn't get as loud as the drum kit. And it, right. it's so... <clears throat> You know, so I like sort of keeping the volume so that you can really hear, like, the sound of that thing, uh-huh. you know. Yeah, Because um, yeah. there's, there's a lot of sound in it, you know. It's, it's, like, it's got pitches in it, and, you know, it's, it's almost, I mean, it's almost like the drum and the bass in the band when it's just the two of us, you know. Right. Because the, um, you know, the pitches are, are quite distinct, um, you know, when you're able to hear them. Yeah. You know, so. <clears throat> are you guys touring a lot? Uh, we've been taking a break. We toured a lot, like in the last. I mean, a lot for us, you know. Yeah. Not a lot for a, a lot for two guys that have full time jobs, right? Say, you know, yeah. Not a lot for someone who's like a road dog at right. all. We're not like doing that at all. But um, but yeah, it, it's in in the last like uh four years we've we've been we've done a fair amount of traveling. Um, and yeah, we've just been lucky and got invited to festivals and stuff, different yeah. places. And we've gotten to go to, to Europe and the UK a few times. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's been good. I'm, I'm kind of excited to sort of like be here for a little while. And, Are you doing and work on some stuff? So I am. Yeah. That's a, that's a, I got a commission there. Yeah. So that'll be, um, a, a piece that I'm, I'm doing like outside of $75 bill. But, when um, is it? It's May 9th. Yeah. Soon. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's a trio with, uh, you know, Patrick Holmes. Yeah. yeah. That's my baby. I yeah. love Patrick. Yeah. So he's, he's in it. And then Talis Lee, my girlfriend, okay. um, she's also in it. Um, what does she play? She plays violin uh-huh. and, uh, she's also, so she's playing violin and Patrick's playing clarinet and I'm playing bass recorder and some violin, um, and then everyone sings a little bit also. Text? Uh no. Uh and then there's a uh there's an organ also, electric organ that's kind of basically just holds one chord the whole time. Uh, yeah. That sort of frames all of the action. And um, and what's the piece like? Uh it's really slow. It's yeah. just like one chord, uh um and it's sort of a tuning piece, mm-hmm. you know. Um I've been working on some different tunings and just intonation. Um, and, but again, kind of coming at it more from, you know, sort of like a modal point of view mm-hmm. than, than, than trying to make crazy chords. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, it's very slow moving. There's, there's basically like three, sections of the piece um where 
one person is improvising the other two people are sort of um supporting the other person yeah uh and so it sort of passes through um these like three different configurations of of the group yeah um but yeah it'll be about an hour long and it's pretty much just like a, a long zone you know yeah that sounds rad yeah yeah, it's it's really kind of started coming together in the last couple of rehearsals, and uh, so you've been yeah, rehearsing really it, excited like kind of piece by piece. Yeah, and and also just like getting the tuning stuff down, just like kind of getting it in everybody's ear. Yeah, you know, um, is uh, you know, yeah, I'm just super grateful they both are like willing to to kind of go there. Sure, and, like you know, Patrick's learning all these weird fingerings. I put him through that recently. You did? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's important. No, he loves that shit. Yeah. 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 Patrick and loves to play. It's so, yeah, it's so great when what you want from someone happens to be something they're interested in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you know? well, it's, it's really also, I mean, hard. It's, music. it's, it's about not. people. You yeah. Know? It's really yeah. about people. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Yeah. If, if the most exciting, you know, the best clarinetist in the yeah. world was like a complete dick, you wouldn't want to play with him. Right, yeah. Not to say that Patrick is, you know, the opposite of that. Right. Patrick is an amazing musician. Yeah. I just mean that, yeah. you know, you're playing yeah. with Patrick because he's Patrick. Right, exactly. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. I'm telling you what you're doing. <laughs> no, no, no. It's true. And I, yeah, yeah. I look forward to checking it out. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming over, dude. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. That was Che Chen. He's a good and thoughtful dude, and uh, I enjoy talking to him quite a lot. Like I said, if you're around this Wednesday, uh, get down to Roulette. Che is going to be doing a concert that I think is going to give you a lot to think about. Uh, get there. And if you want to find out more about Che Chen, Google him. He's got a lot of stuff up on uh, Bandcamp. He's got his own label, Black Pollen Press. Uh, he's out there. He's doing great shit. And uh, I would encourage you to, 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 to look into his world see what you find and that's it um hope you guys are doing well talk to you next week bye